Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Hello and welcome to First Forward, Advanced Scriptural Insight for Christian Soldiers. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Albany, Oregon. The readings for the third week in Lent, year B, or Mark's year, is comes to us from Exodus 20, Psalm 19, 1 Corinthians 1, and John 2. And uh, there are two really important pieces the, that I want to cover in this morning's uh, reflection on the RCL, the Revised Common Lectionary. The first comes to us in Exodus, and Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments, the first appearance of the Ten Commandments. makes another appearance in Deuteronomy, but this is the Exodus text. And one of the shortest lines in Scripture, and one of the most debated, I, I, I think, I think that's fair to say, in terms of military uh, service, is Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. And I don't, I don't remember who I heard it from. I believe it was my Old Testament teacher and Hebrew scholar, Ellen Davis, before she was the dean uh, at Duke when I was an employee there. I think I took, no, I took Anathea Portia Young's, but I think I heard it from Ellen Davis. Um, I don't know, so don't quote me on it, even though I just cited who it was. Um, But I've heard this before, the idea that, you know, killing and murdering, you know, English might distinguish between the two, uh, but Hebrew doesn't. And normally, I, I would, you know, be, I might be swayed by that argument if I didn't know enough about Hebrew and wasn't willing to do the work. And I say that because as this ancient language, Hebrew is a triconsonantal language, so the root verbs, um, to be, to speak, to move, to do, these are the, the base words, Right? The, where a bunch of other later, more compound words come from using different sounds we now call vowels. The Greek Septuagint that was um, composed in 300 BCE was based on Hebrew texts that had no vowels. And so if someone were to say to me that this word that we interpret as, as murder, thou shalt not murder, that also includes accidental killing or maybe quote-unquote justified killing. I use scare quotes because you can't justify killing. There might be a reason you do it that doesn't justify it. That's that's three-year-old logic, right? He made me do it or she made me do it, and so therefore what I did, I don't have to say sorry for. All violence is evil. You always have to repent of it. I understand you know, the, the complexity there, but um, back to... The argument at hand, Exodus twenty thirteen, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. In Hebrew, the word that appears is rasa or uh, ratzach, and rasach is a root verb. Um, but and it's a big but. Ratzach is the first time, or I'm sorry, Exodus twenty thirteen is the first time that ratzach occurs. You shall not ratzak. It does not describe what the taskmaster, what Moses did to the Egyptian taskmaster. It does not describe what Cain did to Abel. So there is a different word, 
and it's either equally primitive or I, I, I don't know. Uh, that other word or an other word that does appear in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel is harag. And harag is also a primitive root verb, making them very, making them distinct, even in the most primitive linguistic way. There is a distinction between harag and ratsak. What you're not supposed to do is ratsak. And depending who you listen to or hear from, Ratzak appears to imply intent to put to death, to kill, especially to murder. This is Hebrew Strong's 7523, Ratzak 7523 in the Hebrew Strong's Concordance. It does have this additional component of knowledge. Um, it, it also can be attached to or made a personal uh, uh, word to mean someone who does this thing, like the Ratzaker, the murderer, the killer. Um, but uh, harag does not have that same implication of knowledge or intent. It is merely the, the effect of death, right? To kill. You've killed someone, whether you did that in an accident because you were drunk or not, is different from knowing and going about. So there is a distinction in Hebrew in the Ten Commandments between murdering to do to end someone's life knowingly and uh, killing to include accidental manslaughter. Um, and that's very clear. Harag, which does appear in Genesis 4, um, that is Hebrew Strong's 2026. And Ratzak, again, is 7523. Two very different words. They don't share... Let's see. They, I think they share one letter, but it's a very popular letter, he. Um, but everything else is different. They are two different verbs, two different root, primitive root verbs, and they are not the same. There is a difference between killing and murdering in the Hebrew language. The other thing I wanted to point out, if you are preaching to soldiers and veterans, or if you are a soldier and veteran and you want to kind of keep your uh, preacher, pastor in check by asking them to take into account the the validity of your service and how it um, you know intersects with our faith. When Jesus is going through the temple in John, John two, um, he gets really upset. Get these things out of here. Stop making my house, my father's house, a marketplace. Zeal for your house will consume me. All that stuff. This is something that clearly happened. It's recorded in the other synoptics. John has a different version. But that he also includes it means it was important for these early communities to remember. Uh, and John, and sometimes the the overturning of the money changers tables is taken as like, well, anger is okay, so therefore violence is okay. I'm sorry, that's a stretch. Um, I'm not going to <laughs> help anybody try and make the case that anger is equivalent to violence. If anything, the opposite is true. Um, that anger is a human emotion that we have to express. We have to figure out how to process healthfully. Um, a lot of people, and I say this as you know, the stereotypical angry vet, a lot of civilians aren't welcoming to the human reaction to obscenity that we witness in, in combat. They don't want to hear curse words. They don't want to hear about the things that you did and didn't do. They want you in their box, right? You, they want to believe that you're a monster. You've always got to 
forever be uh, repenting or that you know you never repent because everything is justified and we're all fucking three-year-olds. Um, so anger, however, is not my point. I do want to point out that anger is important. It's an emotion that veterans and soldiers deal with in particular, uh, probably disproportionately than civilians, and I think it's important. But the you know as the history and and uh, scripture you know nerd that I am um, the thing instead that I want to point out is verse 19 Jesus answered them destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up and they respond in verse 20 this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you'll raise it up in three days I point that out because the temple is the center of the liturgical life of Israel the tabernacle in Shiloh in the wilderness the temple in Jerusalem, these are where God resides. Um, it, willingly or not is a different question. God doesn't ask for a temple. God does not ask for the ark to leave Shiloh. They are the, that God does not ask for anything better than the tabernacle. Uh, you know, that's cool that David did that, but God didn't ask for that, right? God is happy where God was. Um, but it's there. It goes to, to Jerusalem. But the answer of uh, his adversaries the Jews, according to John, um, is telling. Uh, we often think of the Second Temple period as stretching from Joshua, son of Jehozadak, his construction under the watchful eye of Zerubbabel um, after the exile, all the way until 70 CE, when the Romans destroyed it with Vespasian's help, and etc., etc. That is not true. There's a false narrative. There are, there have been three temples already. The first was the temple that Zadok built under Solomon's watchful eye um, with a lot of money that they had to kind of, uh, you know, they impoverished their own people in the north with the heavy taxes. Um, and it, was, it was divisive socially. The, it resulted in the kingdom being split between the northern rural tribes and the southern tribe of Judah that held a claim to the royal lineage and access to Jerusalem, where David had moved the temple out of Shiloh. Then the second temple, uh, as I've mentioned, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, built it underneath the governorship of Zerubbabel, who was um, Cyrus, the king of Persians, kind of client. Not a puppet. Uh, Cyrus held a very light hand, and he's even called a messiah in Jewish literature, in the Bible. Um, but when Herod comes along, Josephus recounts, and it's not challenged in any known literature, Josephus says that Herod raised the temple to the ground and even removed its foundation stones. Nothing of the second temple built by Joshua, nothing remained when he, quote-unquote, remodeled. And these uh, the people who Jesus is talking to, they kind of show their hand that their ultimate view of reality privileges Herod's account of Jewish history. This temple is only 46 years old. This is the third temple, Herod's temple. He's not Jewish, he's Idumean, and he may have claimed to be a religious Jew, but he was not a cultural Jew. He does, you know, in, in the terms of scripture, he is a descendant of Esau, uh, not a descendant of Jacob, and who is later named Israel. So the temple is in some people's eyes, can be seen as um, scripturally illegitimate. 
it, there's nothing left. Either foundation stones were removed, according to Josephus. So this is a literally a third temple. Um, and so how we view our own story is something that this, this passage brings out. How do we view soldiers in Scripture? How do we view um, the... And how do we understand our inheritance of a story that isn't ours um, and we claim has primacy over our lives, but we continue to think and act and speak in ways that privilege, you know, kind of the dominant culture of the day. I think that's important, as I said, because, you know, we don't, we, we say we love veterans, we say we support the troops, and yet we don't have hate crimes protections, we don't have employment protections, we don't have housing protections. So when you start looking into this stuff, you begin to see cracks in the foundation um, by how the dominant culture speaks about the minority culture, the minority community. Um, and so keep that in mind, like it's not nothing. That one line, 46 years or 200 some odd years, whose temple it is and whose story it is, is an important question that often goes uninterrogated, unexamined. Um, and so we have to look for these things in scripture to figure out who really is inside the story, who is placing themselves inside the story and subordinating themselves to that story, and who is trying to kind of control the story for their own purposes. Herod, I think, is very clearly wants to control the story, but the, these, the, the people that Jesus is talking to here probably aren't trying to control it. They've just accepted the dominant kind of status quo as given, and they kind of say the thing that you weren't supposed to say out loud. This temple is Herod's temple. <laughs> it's not Joshua's. It's not Zadok's temple. It's not Solomon's temple. It's Herod's temple. Um, and Herod was a political ruler who used Judaism to try and secure power and stability, etc. Um, but that's not our story. So whose story we are embodying is one that we have to ask not only as service members, but we have to ask because of and for service members. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with Pew Pew HQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia. <laughs>